0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Well, that was a great week. and The video brings amazing memories for those of us who were on that team. That was um, just a couple of weeks ago. Our Zambia team, 20 members of Rosemont. Went and served. We've had two other teams go out uh, since then for Romania and Mexico. Uh, You'll get to hear lots of those stories um, from what happened on those uh, trips from people who have gone uh, during our missions conference in August 23rd, 4th, and 5th. One of the things about this trip was we had an eight hour layover. When you're traveling for 30 hours, it's always exciting to be stuck in an airport for eight hours in London. And so part of what uh, we did was we decided to to venture out into the city, and so we, as a team, went out and uh, looked at uh, London for a bit. <clears throat> One of the things that we saw while we were there were uh, flags lining the streets. And when we asked what was all of the the hoopla about, they said it was the week of the Queen's birthday, and so they had barricaded the roads and they put out all of these flags. For the occasion when she might drive down the road that everybody could come out and line the streets and see the queen and give her respect and and celebrate her birthday. You know, They they do things a little bit different around the world, but kings and queens and how the royalty is treated in England is really interesting. How many of y'all know there was a baby born over there recently? I've had three babies. I'm telling you, there's never been a parade or paparazzi outside the hospital any time that we've done that. Same thing. Amazing child, and so it's just all really neat to see how they approach their king or their queen. Um, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter six. If you want to turn your Bibles this morning, we're going to talk about the year that King Uzziah died. Now we're not going to talk about the the pomp and circumstance for Uzziah, although he was a good king. We're going to talk about actually the King of Kings, and that is the focus of. This passage of scripture, just a beautiful um, picture of the Lord. Isaiah, beginning, Isaiah 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each with six wings, two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. What an amazing passage of scripture we see here as Isaiah actually got to be in the presence of the Lord. He saw the glory of the Lord. And the first thing that we see in this story is a call to worship. What he saw when he saw the Lord seated on the throne high and lifted up and the train of the robe filling the temple and the, the foundation shaking, all of this is, 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 is amazing imagery of the fact that God is holy and God is just. And, and Isaiah got to see that. And and he and it evoked worship in his life. It evoked several things in his life, but worship for sure. The imagery we see in Isaiah chapter 6 of, of him seated on the throne is that of a king or that of a ruler or that of judge. And, and the Lord God is the judge. He is our king and he is ruler of the entire world. The picture of him high and lifted up shows his position over us and the train of his robe filling the temple literally showing his majesty, when you think of England and all of their, their outfits, I mean, you know, the, what she wore when she walked out of the hospital with the baby was important. You know, and, and so what, what they wear is important. And, and you see here the king of kings, the Lord with his robe literally filling the temple and the majesty of the king. The foundation shaking, showing the power of God and being filled with smoke, showing the presence of God. All of this imagery that's so rich in the Old Testament but we see the seraphim chanting back and forth to each other holy 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 is the lord of hosts and the other one repeating it back literally constant worship in the presence of the lord holy 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 and 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 how they embraced that you know this morning we've come to the temple as well we've come into the presence of God we've come to church as the body of Christ as believers in the king of kings and we've come to worship we've sang of his glory we've we've gathered we've encouraged we've opened his word to come into his presence and i want to ask you this morning how does that working for you how was it when you came into the presence of God because I'm afraid that so many times our response to the Lord is that of routine. I'm afraid that there are churches all across the country where we're walking in and we're sitting down and we're nodding our head and we're saying the words to the songs but we're not encountering the Lord. We're not allowing ourselves to see Him for who He is in all of His glory. We're not truly dwelling on the fact that He is holy, holy, holy and He's worthy of everything. We, we come and, and, and we, we, we find ourselves going through the motions. Now, I'm not judging your heart. I'm not judging my heart. I'm just confessing to you there are times that, that we are routine about the things of God. And what we see in this passage of Scripture in Isaiah is that when he encountered God, worship was real. And it, it radically affected Isaiah. And we're going to see how that happens. In Luke 18... We see two men that walk into the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector, a good churchgoer and a swindler. We see the Pharisee walking in saying, I thank God I'm not like those people. I'm not an extortioner or an unjust or an adulterer or a tax collector. I fast and I give my tithe. I'm thankful I'm not like him. Then we see this tax collector over there not willing to open his eyes and look to heaven, but literally beating his chest saying... God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said he's the one that went away from worship that day justified. He's the one that left the presence of the king justified because of his response to the holiness of God and understanding his sinfulness. And I'm afraid that we march into church not recognizing that we've come here to be in the presence of the king. We see a call to worship in this passage in Isaiah, but we also see a call to repentance. For in verse 5, Isaiah's response when he walks into the presence of God. Isaiah's first response is, Woe is me, ruined am I, for I am lost and I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The only possible response that he could have in the presence of God in the presence of a holy and righteous king is to confess his sinfulness. This is not Isaiah's salvation account. This was not when he was saved. This is, this is after he, he had trusted in Christ. But, but, but it's him encountering the Lord on a whole new level. And he confesses not only his sins but the sins of all of his people. The sins of his fellow man you know Peter when he came into contact with Jesus had a similar response we read in Luke chapter 5 that he falls on his knees and says I'm a sinful man when he sees Christ for who he is you know you and I live in an adulterous generation we live in a in a society that is is plagued with sin and we look at the Lord and His holiness, and our response has to be much like that of Isaiah's in the fact that, woe are we, we are undone, we are not where we need to be. We compound our sin in our lives by lacking in saying, woe is me. I think far too often we're quick to say, we're saved and we're forgiven and we're going to be in heaven and it's all going to be okay all that is true, we are. And we've got to balance the truth of the fact that, that He's atoned for our sins with the fact that He's not done removing things from our life. He's not done conforming us into the likeness of Christ. He still wants us to walk into His presence with awe. And when we see Him for who He is, it will reflect back upon us and we'll begin to say, I'm not where I need to be. I'm not what I'm supposed to be. I want to be what He has for me. And we see that happening, that, that call for repentance in Isaiah's life. He says, woe is me, for I'm lost, I'm undone, a man of unclean lips. We see in Luke chapter 7, Jesus' response for those who understand their sinfulness and those who don't. Beginning in verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come and eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman of the city who was a sinner learned that he was going to be there and came with an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, they said, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this was touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus Answered. A moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they couldn't pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them loved him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said, you've judged rightly. And turning to the woman, he says, do you see this woman I entered your house, and you didn't give me water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. You know, I wonder... Day in and day out when the Lord looks into my life, if he sees someone who understands his sinfulness and is ready and quickly ready to humble myself and confess those things. As I've read and studied this passage this week, I've been convicted at at my, my lack of worship, my lack of putting the Lord forefront in every aspect of everything that happens. God is God, and He is worthy, and he, he remains that. But in my life, sometimes the details and the chaos crowd that out to the place that He's not exalted in me personally the way that He should be. And when that happens, it begins to be very subtle, but I become like these other these others that that minimize my sin and see the sin in so many other people. And I'm quick to point out other people's sins and very slow to look into the mirror and say, God, what is it in my life that you want to remove? What is it in my life that I need to repent of? What is it that I need to purge myself of? You see, they both sinned. Both of these people that were in Jesus, the the Pharisee was a sinner, the, the, the sinful woman was a sinner, but only one of them was ready to be humble herself before him. See, it's hard for us to humble ourselves before the Lord. It's hard for us to acknowledge in ourselves that we aren't what we're supposed to be. It's even harder for us to acknowledge our sins to one another and to humble ourselves to one another in order to find encouragement towards the Lord and respond to Him. But the reality is is we only have one response when faced with the holiness of God. Biblical faith permits us to admit profound personal weaknesses. Without fear. Biblical faith uh, takes into account the rest of the story. The fact that we know that, that God so loved the world that he sent his son. And his son became sin. Sin for us on the cross so that we might be forgiven. That's the gospel. The gospel is the rest of the story. We see in verse 6 a call not only for um, repentance but also for Reconciliation. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Listen to this. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. What an amazing picture of the gospel we see here. of The Old Testament sacrificial system and the altar and all that that entails. But also foreshadowing the fact that Christ was going to come. And one day he would pay the price for our sins. He would atone for our sins. He would remove our guilt. He would place on us the righteousness that we do not deserve. That's happened for you and me today in this room. If we are believers in Him, then we've not, not only found that repentance, but we've also seen the reconciliation that only comes through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He came and lived that perfect life. By His wounds, we are healed. And it all points to the gospel, it all leads us back to Christ. What does this look like for us? It's a beautiful picture of. That we see in John chapter 8. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. They brought him before Jesus and said, the word says that we should stone her. What do you want to do? Now they were trying to trick him. And Jesus kneels down and begins to write in the ground. He stood up and said, let him without, without any sin cast the first stone. And he reaches down and he continues to write. This story continues to blow me away because Jesus says, don't forget, for all have sinned. Before you get so wrapped up in her sinfulness, don't forget that there's sinfulness in your life that you need to let go of. Oh, how I wish we had a record of what he was writing in the ground! But it quickly got their attention and the older ones first filed away, followed by the younger ones. When they realized that Jesus said, for all have sinned. You let me deal with this. So he looks at the woman and he said, Who is there to condemn you? And she says, No one. And he says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I don't know about you, but that's a verse that I have to go back to. That's a verse that I have to cling to in my own personal life over and over and over again when I fail to live the life that God's called me to live. But God's grace is so amazing. In this moment, he demonstrated not only the fact that he was righteous king and judge and ruler, which he could make all decisions that he wanted, but he also demonstrated the other trait In through Jesus Christ. There's grace, and there's forgiveness, and there's redemption, and there's new hope, and there's new beginnings. We can stop looking at other people's sins as a reason for their condemnation and begin looking to Jesus for the forgiveness that they don't deserve any more than we deserve. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, which leads us to a call for us to surrender. As Isaiah has walked into the presence of God and seen the Lord high and lifted up, it caused him to repent and, and to, to understand his sinfulness and to say, Woe is me. It, it, it offered opportunity for the cold to be there and, and reconciliation between him and the Lord to happen. And now it's, it's in verse 8, shows us a call to surrender. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now his slate is clean. He's right with the Lord. He's seen the Lord high and lifted up. He, he's been forgiven. His guilt has been atoned for. Everything is good. And then the Lord says, Whom shall I send and whom shall go for us? A call to surrender. All of a sudden, your life is not your own. You've been given this new life, this fresh start. Okay, Isaiah, you saw the Lord, you repented, you acknowledged your sinfulness, you've been reconciled. Now will you live for me? That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Jesus lived and all throughout the Gospels we see Jesus walking up to people and saying, Come, follow me. Come, leave everything you have and follow me. Matthew 4 says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. They came across James and John who were mending their nets and said, follow me. Immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed him. Matthew eight, a scribe walks up and says, I'll follow you wherever you go, teacher. And Jesus said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Follow me. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. Matthew nine, Jesus passed by Matthew, a tax collector. Follow me, and he rose and followed him immediately. He calls Jesus to, to I mean he calls Peter to walk out on the water to Jesus, and Peter just stands up and walks out there. You know, we see in Matthew 16 that this is truly a command for us to surrender our lives, to lay down our plans and to give everything that we have for him. Jesus says in verse 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. That is whoever will keep his life just the way they want it will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And what will a man give in return for his soul? For the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the father and there will be and then will will repay each person according to what he's done. You see, Christ didn't come to save us from our sins, to to redeem us from this life, to give us a fresh start in order for us to pursue our own desires. He didn't come in all of his glory to to forgive us when we didn't deserve it in order for us to continue to pursue the same life. He's offering us a much better life in him. And for Isaiah, he said, who's going to go? Who shall I send? You know, the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in him, align yourself with the Lord in such a way that he will give you the desires of your heart. Literally, he will change your desires to line up with his. And all of a sudden, the things of this world will pass away. The things that you used to pursue, the things that used to be so important to you will fade away. And the things of the Lord will become the things of your heart. And then he will begin to answer those things. And we will begin to love the church. And we will begin to love the lost. And we will begin to pursue the things that he pursues. Now this isn't a guilt trip that we find in the Lord. This is not thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, and thou shalt, and then maybe you can get to heaven. This is not somehow that we will, we will attain to this. This is because of the love that we have for him. Anything that he desires, we will desire as well. My mom is a great lady, and and when I was young, she used to talk to me about how hard it was to be pregnant and how horrible labor and delivery was and how she was sick, and because of that, maybe I should go and take the trash out for her. (laughs) Sometimes that worked, and sometimes that didn't. Sometimes she would talk about the hardships that she did for me. Maybe I should go clean my room, and sometimes I did, and sometimes I just pushed it all under my bed. The guilt didn't necessarily motivate me to action. But I can tell you today that that my mother, I love. And if she called today, I would drive three and a half hours to be by her side and do whatever she wanted. Not because of any guilt trip or anything that she did for me when I was a kid, but because I love her. And so much more that has to translate into our lives as believers and our love and adoration for the King of kings and Lord of lords who, who seated high on the throne and yet made provision for atonement for our sins and forgave us of everything. The Bible says if you don't hate your brother and sister and mother and father more than me, you're not worthy to be my disciples. And That's not hatred for these, it's exaltation of him. And when we can get our focus right on Him, then our lives begin to make more sense. And the, the call that He places on us, the, the, the surrender that He asks of our life becomes not that hard of a sacrifice. Now, He had been asked, who, who shall I send and who will go? The final thing we see in this passage is a call to obedience. I love Isaiah I love Isaiah's response. He's seen the Lord lifted up. He's seen his sins atoned for. He's gotten a fresh start. The Lord says, Who will go and whom shall I send? And he says, Here am I. Send me. I can just picture him. Here I am right now. Send me. I'm ready. Whatever it is, I'm going to do it. He didn't know what God was calling him to do. We see in verses 9 through 13 that it was going to be a hard job. That where he was going, they weren't going to listen. That they weren't going to respond. That it was not going to be easy for him. But his response and our response, our only response to the Lord, has to be one of obedience. God, here am I. Send me. Whatever it is that you desire of me, send me. But we're not going to get to the place to where we understand that obedience until we get to the place to where we're worshiping, where we're seeing him high and lifted up, seeing him supreme over everything, seeing him as ruler, seeing him as king of our lives, lord of our lives, seated on the throne of our hearts. We're not going to get to this place of obedience until we see that we are ruined, that we are sinful, and that we have to be reconciled. And there's still things in our life that he wants to purge from us. We're not going to get to that place until we come to the place that we surrender our plans and our desires for his because we truly believe what he has for us is better. Now, this is a great missions verse, and it's, it's, it's truly exciting, the opportunities that you're going to have to be on mission. And I do believe you have to say, if we're going to be obedient, we have to be obedient to all of Scripture. We know there's tons and tons of verses in here that he's calling us to be, be obedient to. Some of us, it needs to be, go and make disciples of all nations. And some of you know that that's a verse that he's using in your life, and you've not been obedient but the reality is that doesn't mean you have to go to Zambia or Guatemala or Romania. What that means is, is, is as you are going, make disciples. He has called you to be about His business in the, in the very place that you are. He's given you the job, the family, the school, the, the situations that you're in so that you might be making disciples. You might be about the things of the Lord. But here am I, send me. Although in this case was about missions, the reality is here am I. Let me be obedient. Is a hundred and hundreds and hundreds of other verses in here that we still need to be obedient to. What is it that God has taught you in Scripture? What verse is it that you know is in here that you know is deep down in your heart? You're not. You're not laying before the Lord. You're not surrendering your life in order to do it. You know, I think about marriage. Marriage is hard. Can I get an amen? For Hannah, it's a lot harder than for most of us. When we were first married, Hannah came home from church one day, and she said, what's wrong with me? I said, what do you mean, baby? She said, people keep walking up to me saying they're praying for me. (laughs) And I said, well... (laughs) That's because you're married to me. But you know, as I, as I look at this and I, I sit and think about the areas that, that I have to surrender and the areas that I have to be obedient to, loving her as Christ loved the church, that's hard, people. That's hard, but it's real. And He really does, if He is Lord, lifted up, and He has redeemed me and, and forgiven me in ways that I didn't deserve, then why would I not be willing to say I'll do anything? And so many other areas that, 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 that we need to say, here am I, send me. Every time we open His Word, every time we hear a message, every time we sing of His praises, it needs to draw us back to the place to where we're willing to say, okay. I'll be obedient. I'll surrender my life. I will give this over to you. Just like the disciples that were called to leave everything for him, we're called to follow him. Now, how does that happen? How do we do this in our life? We worship Him as He is worthy. We see Him for all that He is and we, we, we make sure we find ourselves in His presence, whether that's in worship or whether that's in His Word or whether that's at home in our prayer closet, but we find ourselves in the presence of God and we let Him do the work that only He can do in our hearts. We humble ourselves enough to say, woe is me. Yes, that's a sinful area that I need to work on. And we repent and we find our, our reconciliation in the truth that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. And that can only lead us to surrender and obedience. If you're not leading a life that's, that, that's following Him and seeing fruit in it, then there's, there's somewhere between worship and repentance and reconciliation and surrender and obedience. And one of those five is something that you need to, to, to look into so that you can sacrifice and find fulfillment in Him. You see, we do sacrifice for the things that we value. We make time for the things that are important to us. You look at somebody on the football team or a baseball team, you look at, at, at the devotion that they give to that in order that they might be part of that. And that cannot compare to the devotion that we must give to be in fellowship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we've got to treasure our relationship with the Lord God. C.S. Lewis said, History shows Christians... Who did the most for the present world in this present world were precisely those who thought the most about the next world. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the next world that they've become so ineffective in this one. Far too many Christians today think about the Lord on Sunday and go about pursuing their lives until they come back the next week. And I promise you, as Isaiah came into the presence of the holy God, that was not his story. And for you and I, we must address the same thing. I don't know what God wants to do in your life as we we look through this. I don't know where it is that you need to... To focus your energy, whether that is in increased worship or honest repentance and understanding reconciliation. Or a true surrender and obedience. But I know that God desires those things from us. And because of who He is and because of what Isaiah encountered when he walked into His presence. That He is worthy of us opening up our lives. And laying our hands out and saying, whatever I have is yours. Whatever in me that does not bring you glory, I let go of. And whatever you want of me, here I am. Send me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I don't know what you want to accomplish in all of our hearts today. But I know that you are worthy of our affections and of our actions. And Lord God, you are worthy of our very lives. And we beg you. By your spirit. To reveal to us. The areas of our life. That need to be conformed. Into the image of your son. Lord God we ask that you would. Help us to see you high and lifted up. Lord that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. And as we see you in your word. Or we see you. Sung about in. In. Worship, Lord God, that we would acknowledge that you are worthy, holy, holy, holy. Lord God, I pray for those in this room that have heard the stories of Christ, but have not found the forgiveness that comes through your son, that today you might convict of sin, and God, that salvation might come to them. And Lord, I pray for the many others of us in this room that have taken for granted the opportunity to enter into your presence. Lord God, forgive us for worshiping lightly. Lord, I pray that your spirit would convict of sin, not so that we might find condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but that we might find freedom. And relationship with you. Lord I pray that you would help us. Not to be believers. That are holding on to our plans. For our lives. But literally we would be one. Known to surrender. And be obedient to whatever it is. That you call. Lord because of your love for us in sending your Son because of the forgiveness that we find in Christ Jesus, because of your worth. We adore you and we lay our lives down this morning. May your Spirit work in our hearts and may you receive all glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.